BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. My name is Ethan. I'm 12 years old, and I'm from Orlando, Florida. This year, I will be celebrating my 13th birthday. And for that special occasion, I won't be listening to I Doubt It with Dalmore. Moore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 402 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. We are back. We are not quite 100%. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined by my on-the-mend co-host, still beautiful, still intellectually sound, still scholarly, Brittany Page. <laughs> Uh, don't give me too much credit. I almost just started coughing into the mic. Um, I, I love how you said we are almost a hundred percent. I feel well, like as a team, we, I feel like you're a hundred percent. I am not a hundred, you know, I'm not a hundred percent and I'm not, I'm definitely yo, not. Yo, no, so, no, you're like 30%. Yeah. So I, I was sick. I think I was getting sick last time we recorded the show. Yeah. You were sick over the weekend when we did the Patreon call. Yeah. You even sounded like, uh. More like me mm-hmm. than you. You sounded like you'd you'd taken up a a thirty year two pack a day Marlboro Red habit. Yeah, <laughs> and it got worse. It got worse. Oh, if you can yeah. believe it. Um, well, but, you pretty much lost your voice. Yeah, but now I'm coming out of it. So I had bronchitis, and you I'm, still have remnants. So you're. It's not. It it doesn't go away that quick. You're still coughing up. All kinds of crap. and Yeah, I'm working through it. So I appreciate everyone's patience because I know we've gotten messages uh, from people wondering where 
yeah, the hell we are for sure. And we're here. We're just we're just sick. See, it's me this time. Well, that's he, sick, he, not you. This is the deal, and this is legitimate. Like sick, sick. But but even when like I say, oh yeah, I'm sick. I'm under the weather. We're not going to do the show. It's not always like full on sweats and fever and chills and shakes in the bed Mm -hmm. it's not deathbed time (laughs) it's you know sometimes you got because this isn't just there's a lot more to this than just talking into a goddamn microphone yeah or at least i'd like to put it out there that it is to me maybe i'm just not smart enough to be able to do it without really putting in some effort well (laughs) so so be not being well doesn't mean oh i'm so sick it just means i don't want to put out a subpar product yeah and i feel like when i was young and spry i i could i could get sick and still go about my business and now when i get sick i'm out of commission i am i'm done i i cannot operate my brain is not functioning properly so yeah it is hard when you're not feeling well to think through things and you know i mean this this show requires being on your feet yeah. Um, being able to think through things because we don't go through and be okay so what are you going to say about this okay have you like thought out what your position is okay like right, what are you right. going to do it's this is what we're talking about okay let's start the show and then we're doing the show and then you need to decide like what you're going to say about it how, how often how <laughs> often do i say this we'll start talking about something that i know we're going to talk about on the show yeah and what do i say um save it for the show yeah is that exactly. what you're referring to exactly okay yeah. save it for the show yeah because you don't want to well sometimes that happens we're like we'll be talking and it will be like we're both cracking up and then it's like god damn it why didn't we save this for the show you know <laughs> right. so yeah we try to if if we're talking about stuff stop so that we can Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Well, the, the other thing about being sick and not totally mentally aware is me falling down the goddamn stairs oh, this this weekend. Yeah, because I was you know kind of in a malaise. I was kind of feeling like you are now. Yeah, not to the extent that you are, mm-hmm. but just foggy enough that I was carrying a box of shit. Yeah. Of, of of just a bunch of stuff in a box downstairs. Yeah, down a flight of stairs, and at the base, at the bottom of the stairs, is a a concrete pad, mm-hmm. like a sidewalk. Yeah, and I stepped off like the third step, like it was the like the bottom to the the third to the bottom step. Yeah, when you think it, you're done. Yeah, I thought it was done. I yeah. go step off, and <laughs> nope. Yeah, it was not done. And I my knee is all fucking scraped up. Yeah, and you were oh my god, oh my god, oh my. Like you thought. Because I have, oh, this is going really shitty. Uh, I dislocated my hip and my knee, my left hip and my left knee, uh-huh. in a training accident in the Marine Corps. Yeah. And so I'm still very susceptible to injury. Right. It, like it, it could dislocate really a lot easier than a normal, normal, healthy man's hip. Right. And uh, so you have to fall carefully. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't want to smash my head and die. But also, yeah. I don't want to dislocate. So anyway, I fell. You on have the... to like rank the importance <laughs> of what what you can damage. So right. the hip and the knee, the left hip and the knee can't do that. So you're going to have to fall in a way that doesn't hit that. But you also don't want to hit your head. So yeah. it's kind of you have to pick and choose how you're going to fall. And you have to process <laughs> all of that while foggy headed. Yeah. Between the time that you step off the wrong step and land on your goddamn. Yeah. 
Right. Anyway, so I my mean, knee is all scraped. Yeah, it was pretty traumatic for you and me as well. But I, I think maybe more traumatic for you. I was concerned <laughs> about how you were doing, but I was also concerned if you were seriously injured because I was behind you and I didn't yeah. want to be implicated for like shoving you down the stairs or something. That's where your head immediately goes. Yes, this is not my fault. Immediately that <laughs> if I'm dead, that they're gonna you're gonna be taken in for questioning. I didn't do it. <laughs> It wasn't me. <laughs> not that just I'm an idiot who stepped off the bottom, not the bottom stab. I do want to say, though, when I remember, because I watched it happen, it, it was like it happened in slow motion because you did. You like you realized you were going down and you shifted your body in, in a way. It was really fascinating like to a watch. cat that lands on its feet. Yeah, because you knew you couldn't <laughs> fall on your certain side. And so you shifted it was when i uh, when i picture it in my head it's in slow motion and really cool, really cool. <laughs> yeah it's not really cool for me my knee is a bummer right now and sore it's not even like the giant scab on my knee yeah it's both knees are kind of knobby and 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 like swollen a little bit from yeah getting jacked up on the pavement mm. no bueno you got to be careful. Got to be careful. Those falls are dangerous. Those falls are dangerous. People die from falling. People die from falling. They really do. They really do. I don't know what's happening right now, but... I'm not really <laughs> sure either. Okay. All right, let's get to some voicemails. Listen, this is this is going to be like Time Machine Show, because we're not going to plan a different show than we had planned. Mm-hmm. A show was totally planned. Yeah, we were going in. And also, a lot of effort was gone through because this is going to be about the White House Correspondents' Dinner primarily. And I've got a shit ton of clips from the event and from previous years. We went through, Brittany and I, we watched several years worth of, of White House Correspondents' Dinners. Yeah, because of all the fervor that was going on, I wanted to see... Um, well, how controversial was this one really? Yeah, how out of the norm right. was this one? And so we decided to watch them all, and then we're going to go through it with you to kind of show you. And I don't think people have talked about that, really. So I haven't heard it. Yeah, anybody. I think it'll be interesting. So anyway, this is, I say, time machine, because if you could just transport yourself back to to Sunday when you would have heard this episode, even the voicemails are about topics that were back then. So tomorrow, we do have scheduled... Our contest winner, mm-hmm. the 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 co-hosting contest episode. Right. So that'll be a second episode. And then eventually somehow we will, like we always do, make up for the lost episode. So right. we will we will get caught up both in, in number, but we will also get caught up in time. Yep. Because as everybody knows, all kind of shit has gone on yes. since Saturday or yeah. Sunday when we should have been on doing a show and like we always say we appreciate your patience and your understanding that these things happen yeah they do Mm. so first let's get to robin in dc hi Brittany. hi jesse this is robin calling from the washington dc area and i'm calling to make a comment regarding uh joy reed from msnbc and the comments that were posted on the blog about 10 years ago I was just listening to you guys' discussion about that. And yesterday, uh, which was the 28th, Joy opened her show um, basically apologizing for her words um, and, you know, her beliefs from back then. 
And I have to say, uh, I did see it. She was very sincere. She was very candid, very contrite. And I believe her. And the reason I do is because I think not everybody is just trying to clean up their act like Laura Ingram to save their ratings or save their show. Some people are very sincere about their change. And and I know you can relate because, you know, Jesse had a different position on things a while ago when he was a Republican. Um, and I have always been a Democrat, but I've always considered myself a more conservative Democrat or, you know, more in the middle, more centrist. And I can honestly tell you that 15 or 20 years ago, I would not have been okay with gay marriage. I, you know, was raised in the Catholic Church, and I strongly believed that marriage was between a man and a woman, and I just didn't believe that. And I know my mother believes the same way, and, you know, she's influenced us quite a bit, especially with regard to some of those feelings. But now, over the last five to ten years, I've changed my tune on that. I do believe that you can marry whoever you want. You're not hurting anybody. You should be able to love whoever you want and marry whoever you want. So I've changed my feelings now. I don't have any skeletons on social media, and I'm not, you know, in the public eye where people can dig that up and throw that in my face. But I am very sincere about that, the way I feel now. So, you know, people can change. And um, like I said, I she was very contrite, and I do believe um, that we do owe people the chance to apologize, and then we can assess their sincerity. So that's my two cents. Love the show, and yes, Brittany is the best part because she loves earth, wind, and fire as much as I do. Yes. I love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Yes, earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> We should start an Earth, Wind, and Fire podcast because Robin, that voice is so soothing. Oh, and you mean calming. you and her? Yeah. Because I don't want any part of that. You know, I wasn't inviting you, <laughs> so stay out of it. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, I. Not because I hate Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh-huh. I would just be way out of my element. Yes. Well. Stay you know out the of three it. elements: yeah. Earth, <laughs> Wind. And fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I totally get where Robin is coming from, especially where it relates to the conversation that we were having about people just being able to talk about what they used to believe. Yeah. And and being totally upfront with it. And like she was saying, she used to hold views um, being anti-gay marriage. And that's like most people. It's yeah. only been a recent change that majorities in several states have, have flipped to supporting gay marriage. Yeah. Um, that's been a slow moving process. Um, I think that it would be great if we could all talk about what we used to believe and and not be afraid of of having those conversations and kind of modeling change and i guess my only pushback on this would be that i don't know if joy reed modeled that super well because in her apology she wasn't totally upfront about having like changed her view because she didn't admit that that was her view right yeah well i would i agree because i'm 
while I'm ashamed of some of the things I used to believe, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any shame in talking about how you used to believe and that it was bad. Yeah. So while I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. to, talk to, to that I believed it, I'm not embarrassed to talk about having believed it because it's something I used to believe. I right. came out of it. Right. And for me, you're getting at it. That's what I feel about this, too. I believe she's sincere. Yeah. That she no longer believes that. Yes. My problem with the whole entire fucking episode is the fact that she's still not being upfront about having written what she wrote. Yeah. L- listen, let's let's listen. I, I, I put some clips together so we can talk about the specific elements. Good morning and welcome to AM Joy. A community that I support and that I deeply care about is hurting because of some despicable and truly offensive posts being attributed to me. Now, many of you have seen these blog posts circulating online and in social media. Many of them are homophobic, discriminatory, and outright weird and hateful. When a friend found them in December and sent them to me, I was stunned. Frankly, I couldn't imagine where they'd come from or whose voice that was. In the months since, I've spent a lot of time trying to make sense of these posts. I hired cybersecurity experts to see if somebody had manipulated my words or my former blog. And the reality is they have not been able to prove it. But here's what I know. I genuinely do not believe I wrote those hateful things because they are completely alien to me. But I can definitely understand, based on things I have tweeted and have written in the past, why some people don't believe me. I've not been exempt from being dumb or cruel or hurtful to the very people I want to advocate for. I own that. I get it. And for that, I am truly, truly sorry. I had a conversation the other day with a friend who's also an advocate in the LGBTQ community in Florida, who rightly took me to task for my tweets mocking Ann Coulter using transgender stereotypes. I apologize to my friend, and I want to apologize to the trans community and to Ann. Those tweets were wrong and horrible. I look back today at some of the ways I've talked casually about people and gender identity and sexual orientation, and I wonder who that even was. But the reality is that like a lot of people in this country, that person was me. I grew up in a household that, like many in America, had conservative views on LGBTQ issues. I had friends, some of my closest friends, in fact, growing up, who I later learned were gay and who had kept it secret from me and from everyone else we were close to because they didn't know what we would say, or if we would still be friends, or whether we would look at them differently. I can remember a friend of mine, my freshman year in college, telling me he was gay, and my knee-jerk reaction being that it was so disappointing to the women he could have married. He was so hurt, he didn't speak to me for months. I'm heartbroken that I didn't do better back then, knowing so many great people in the LGBTQ community, including amazing friends and journalists and producers and political operatives and great dads and moms and advocates and just regular people, and knowing how hard it must have been for so many of them to come out to their families, to their friends, to just walk around in the world, especially for trans people. And I feel like I should have known better than to ever write or tweet in a way that could make fun of or make light of or make light of that pain and that experience. Even a decade ago, when the country was in a very different place. But I cannot take any of that back. I can only say that the person I am now is not the person I was then. I like to think I've gotten better as a person over time, that I'm still growing, that I'm not the same person I was 10 or 5 or even 1 year ago. 
And I know that my goal is to try to be a better person and a better ally. Now, the reality is I have to own the things that I've written and tweeted and said. And I'm hoping out of all of this, there's an opportunity to talk about the ways in which hurtful speech really does imperil marginal, marginalized communities. So that was the full apology prior to her bringing uh, a panel on to mm-hmm. talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, she said some awesome stuff there that is valid and worthy and genuine, I think. Totally. But there, there was a lot of parsing of language and um, not fully coming forward. Mm-hmm. Let, let's start with what, what, what she says at the end there. Now, the reality is I have to own the things that I've written and tweeted and said. That's what she says at the end. Mm-hmm. But that's not how she started. Mm-hmm. A community that I support and that I deeply care about is hurting because of some despicable and truly offensive posts being attributed to me. Being attributed to me. Mm-hmm. That's not saying, hey, there's, I wrote some shitty stuff. I said some terrible things. And I am very sorry for it. And they haven't come to light until now. Being attributed to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. Is that not obfuscating? Well, there was also a moment where she said something like she genuinely doesn't believe that she wrote these things. Yeah. So it wasn't, I did not write these. It's, I genuinely believe I didn't do that. Um, Which is different, right? (laughs) Very Um, different. and, And so... That is the thing that bums me out about it because, like you said, the the end part, I mean, where she's talking about, listen, I grew up in a traditional household. Yeah. I was essentially indoctrinated with these beliefs. All of that can apply to me. Yeah. I inherited a belief system yeah. and it took some work dismantling that belief system. We've all been there. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> we know. Uh, listen, um, I, I'm not even immune from this. I have said on this show, and I've talked about it in the past a lot, that I used to argue that two men having sex, I would make that that having, what's next, having sex with your dog? I used to say shit like that. Mm-hmm. I used to think like that. Yeah. That is horrible. That is terrible. That is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But you got to fucking own it. Mm-hmm. You have to own it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it it would have been more powerful had she said, Listen, I wrote these things and yes, you're all trying to dig up my past and whatever. I I see you trying to find old writings that I did. And yeah, I wrote that and it's shameful. And I have done a lot of work on myself and I've improved a lot and I've changed and this is who I am now. And so I, you can keep digging yeah. and you're find whatever find you want. You're probably going to find more stuff. Right. Um because I've changed and I think that that's totally totally fair. Instead, we get, you know, something like this. I hired cybersecurity experts to see if somebody had manipulated my words or my former blog. And the reality is they have not been able to prove it. But here's what I know. I genuinely do not believe I wrote those hateful things because they are completely alien to me. They're not completely alien to you, Joy. You just said that you used to believe those things. That you harbored those feelings based on an antiquated belief system that you inherited from your parents. Mm -hmm. So they're not completely alien to you. Mm -hmm. You can't have it both ways. Mm -hmm. Righteous, mighty champion of the LGBT. And also, uh, former 
someone with bigoted beliefs. Well, you can't. You can do that, but you have to admit. No, not all at once, though. Right. You have to, and you also <laughs> have to admit to the. Yes. You can't keep pretending that like that wasn't the reality um, when it was, and it, yeah. it's 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 okay to talk about that, and that's kind of what we were talking about last time, where there's this culture now where you can't change. And are you in my group or not? Because if you're not, then I don't want anything to do with you. And even are you and have you always been in my group? Right. And if not, fuck you. Right. Yeah. And it's it's kind of this inability to like have conversations, entertain ideas and thoughts without like accepting them. All, yeah. of, all of these issues kind of go hand in hand. And listen, I'm I'm chief among the guilty related to that. I am kind of a hey fuck you. You you that you you believe terrible shit that's bigoted that's fucked and I'm e- I easily write people off and I should be more um open armed to welcome people into the fold of logic and reason and decency. I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean I, I, I I'm but I look it's a shortcoming that I work on. Yeah, I think it's good. Number one that you're owning up to that. And number two, that you... I'm suppressing a cough as I talk. <clears throat> I'm only going to do so much editing. I know. So. <laughs> um, and, and that you are... Did I already say the two things? Because yeah. I forgot them. Um, anyway, I, I, think, I think generally speaking, what she said was good. Me too. There were a few issues with it. Uh, but I understand it's also difficult to admit that you believed terrible things. Especially when your job's on the line, maybe. Yeah. Or you feel that threatened thing. Yeah. Also, if they really did uh, initiate an FBI investigation into hacking under false pretenses, that's a crime. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) she may have opened herself up to some legal jeopardy, too. Listen, I don't hate Joy Reid. I I don't. I don't even think she's a bad person. I just where I think she squandered a moment here to do something greater than even just um, talk about uh, equality mm-hmm. and equity for LGBT communities. I think that she she squandered an opportunity to talk and have a conversation about this very thing we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, Robin, thank you for the voicemail. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's a. Uh, Robin is one of our long time. Yes. Like back in the day when we would get a new listener that we weren't connected to by any degree of family or friends. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we love, we have a special place in our heart for Robin. Plus she lives right there in the belly of the beast in inside the beltway, I believe. Yeah. So, um, and she loves Earth, Wind and Fire. And she loves Earth, Wind, and Which fire. is like the number one quality that you look for in identifying a good person. You, you look for. Yeah. I, you, you just put that out there that everyone does. I, I, one time I heard a guy in my class talking about how he hated the song September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. I never talked to that guy. <laughs> what do I have? Fuck that guy. What do I need to deal with him for? <laughs> That's prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. What other terrible opinions does that guy have? Right. So uh, one more call. Again, thanks, Robin. We love you. We appreciate you very much. Uh, Next call also from within the Beltway, Team Ian on Twitter, former guest and friend of the show. And I think this particular topic that he called in about is going to get more airtime here. I think we're going to end up talking about this quite a bit. And it's these 
incels, these involuntary celibates. Well, I think which that... is a stupid term because celibacy is a choice by its by on its face. You can't be celibate involuntarily. That's not celibacy. Celibacy in and of itself means you've made the choice to not have sex. Yeah, well, we keep on adding titles for Ian. Now he's friend of the show. And I think we should just go ahead and add another one. And he can be our chief incel correspondent. (laughs) Um, I'm sure he would appreciate that. Yeah. Since he does, uh, he tweets at Charlie Kirk and do you (laughs) smash, bro? (laughs) Oh, Ian. Hey folks, it's your friend, Team Ian. Um, this is in regards to your incel bit, and as we kind of briefly touched on... When I- First of all, let me stop it there. <laughs> it wasn't an incel bit. We don't do bits on this show, Ian. Mm-hmm. How fucking dare you, sir? <laughs> he means segment. I think he meant segment, but I'm still I'm holding out judgment on this guy. It was on your program uh this is a bit of a hobby horse for me and you know this is gonna sound weird but i do want to give you kind of a critique uh, one i think when we when you look at incels i would personally kind of put them in the kind of violent right-wing extremist group um i think there's a very there's the venn diagram and that with them and all right uh they share a lot of similarities, you know, similar with Gamergate, men's right activists writ large, kind of these very extreme anti-feminists. Um, this is something that I've literally written a little bit about and tried to argue in class and sometimes got laughed. Well, I laughed at myself. I mean, you know, talking about incel dipshits is, you know, mockable. But anyway, um, you know, I want to connect this to sort of a, a broader thing, you know, this is why, to me, it, I, these people need to be connected to people like Jordan Peterson, right, and Milo, people that have sort of weaponized the idea of feminism and talked about how awful it is. And it's it's a radicalization pathway, essentially, right? Like, you have these kind of lost, kind of awkward boys, and then they go on YouTube, and they they find things like, oh, I'm not weird, actually. Like, this is... This is what has always been. It's society has left me behind because of feminism and things like that. And, you know, they, they look at Peterson, they see these other people, they get kind of, they get into the anti-feminist movement, they get to the, the men's rights activist movement. And because of YouTube's wonderful search algorithm, they start seeing increasingly extreme videos and extreme uh, stuff. And eventually, yeah, we'll come on incel boards and and, you know, and the radicalization pathway is actually very similar to it was with other types of terrorists. Um, so I think it's important to talk about the stuff in that context. I think uh, other people are going to probably start making that connection more in the sort of NAT security space, which is sort of irritating because I'm hoping to write about it, but whatever. I'll, I'll get over it. Um, yeah. That's about it. Um I do have funny stories about these people, too, but I don't think this is probably the time or place. But eventually, I will share with you just some, like, just, you know, Italian chef kissing fingers stuff. All right, guys. Keep up the great work. Cheers. So, um, where was the critique? Oh. Hey, guys. I got a critique for you. Yeah. And then no critique. Uh Uh-huh. 
if you say you're going to critique, <laughs> I expect you to stand by your goddamn word, Ian. Yeah, I think that you did talk about the terrorism connection slash angle there. Well, I think I, I think because someone else or pushed, radicalization. Yeah, someone else pushed back, and I think I used the term like terrorist ish mm-hmm. because I, I don't know. I haven't really. I haven't given as much uh, time to it as Ian. And I didn't even know. I, it sounds like something he's been tracking for a while, understanding and getting to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I use that term because terrorism isn't just you, you, you're you a guy who loses it and goes and kills people. It's you got to have there's a political motivation. There, there's there's a like an end game in mind. You're, you're, terrorism isn't just anybody who shoots up a. You know what I mean? Anyway, mm-hmm. so there's a specific definition that I wanted to follow through with on terrorism. I wasn't sure yet, but you know, after thinking about it, for sure it's terrorism because that there they have a there's a motivated reasoning behind it. They want to change society. They're trying to go out in glory as a as a as a messaging uh, element. So so anyway, I think I think if when that's people, what the critique is, that's fine. I think when people talk about the terrorism definition, they say that it has to have a political motive, right? Yeah. And so one could argue that there's a political motive here, I guess, because he was targeting women and or a societal that they're trying to affect societal change through their violence. Right. Yeah. Um I agree that they are and I would love maybe we should have Ian back on the show to talk about this because it is it, it's gaining steam. I mean there's New York Times op-eds with guys who are flirting with the topic of justifying it and how sex workers need to step up their game to alleviate this problem, this tension. Well, that that article you're referring to is the redistribution of sex. Yeah. And in that, he argues that um, people are going to start making the argument that, hey, Listen, um, liberals and socialists, those people, they want to redistribute wealth because uh, you want society to be more equal and fair and everyone to have access. And so what about doing that with sex so that people who are lonely um, also have access to to that and it makes it more equal and fair? This isn't an Onion article we're talking about. This is a fucking op-ed in the New York Times. What in the fuck? fiddling fuck are you kidding me i mean ian touched on it with the society has left me behind because of feminism or whatever so i i translate that into society has left me behind because women are empowered to not feel obligated to give their bodies to men who resent them Mm -hmm. and are insecure Mm -hmm. and not attractive and in that article, again... And I mean attractive, not just looks, but attitudinal, everything, the, the whole picture, sorry. In that article, The Redistribution of Sex, this is a quote from it. Right-thinking people will simply come to agree that some such right exists and that it makes sense to look to some combination of changed laws, new technology, and evolved mores to fulfill it. Um, and he's he's talking about sex robots in addition to sex workers. And sex robots are becoming more prominent. Um, sex, those sex dolls that are realistic looking and yeah. also like, um, have the robot talking. 
voice and um they're like partners people have mm, sexy I, people faster harder I've, I've watched documentaries and and there are some men who enter into long-term relationships with their sex robot yeah, doll fucking weirdos and man. so he's talking about sex robots in addition to um sex workers and you know i, I don't know this is it's getting kind of out of control for me, but <laughs> I I wish that I, I've seen people making comments criticizing liberals and progressives for not having enough compassion for people that are lonely and in a situation where they don't have social connections. And listen, that is certainly a problem. And of course, it's terrible that there are people that are lonely. But but the issue is that there are some people who are lonely and they handle that in a different way. Yeah. They like stay home and watch Netflix and eat Oreos and like text their friends about it. Wait, and I think you're ignoring the very severe problem we have in this country and the world, Brittany, of all the lonely women who are going on murderous, violent killing sprees because of their loneliness. Right. And then there are lonely people who <laughs> I. Yeah. Well, we got to acknowledge it's a joke. Yeah. There aren't women aren't killing people because they're lonely. Uh Uh-huh. That's exclusively a men thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, and then you have people who are lonely that are going onto message boards and writing about how they should be able to rape women to satisfy their involuntary involuntary celibacy and whatever and then you have this new york times op-ed writer writing this thing kind of giving incels a new way to argue their their perspective right um that sex is like a commodity that should be available to everybody and we need to somehow make that happen like it's a human right and you know you do have a right to sex with yourself Proceed with yeah. the masturbation. Get on that. And they even sell like fake vaginas online. I've seen them and you can buy them. Friend of the show, Bill O'Reilly, he knows all about this. Yeah. Does he? he? I don't. Yeah. Remember when I did the jerk off sound that grossed you oh, out? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, oh, um, <laughs> you know, and I, I, oh, Jesus. I do Just have. Bill O'Reilly over here. I do have compassion. It's the no spin zone. I do have compassion for people who are lonely <laughs> and in these situations, but. It's it's difficult then to have compassion for people who are taking it a step further and arguing that they should be able to like rape people. Um, that's a whole other animal, and I don't really know what the solution is there. But uh, compassion and trying to help people out can only go so far, especially for people who may not want help. And <laughs> we've had this conversation like with Elliot Roger. We don't know how many people tried to reach out to him. We don't know if he was actually ostracized everywhere he went and women were just mean to him. What if, what if women tried to be super nice to him and he was just very mean. And every time he tried to connect with someone, he was very mean to women. Right. A lot of what's happening now. He acted like not a Supreme gentleman. Well, yeah. Cause these guys, (laughs) they apparently invade other female subreddits and start attacking women. Yeah. Like the point is that you're lonely, right? You want companionship. So you think that going into a forum and attacking women and calling them bitches and talking about how you should be able to rape them, you think that's going to get you that companionship? It, well, it's taking the 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 schoolyard you pull the hair of the girl that you really like 
because you don't really have any other social way to let her know you like her. They're carrying that on into adulthood. Right. Except now it's not just pulling hair. There are real world violent, dangerous implications of that type of um, lack of social awareness. Right. And I know you want to move on, but I want to make one more point where um, I just read this New York Times article or no, it was the Washington Post, I think, about too many men of the imbalance of men and women in China and India. And they were writing about India in particular, talking about how um, men are learning how to interact with women because of the gender imbalance. There's not a lot of women for them to actually interact with. Yeah. And they're learning how to interact with women in these Bollywood films where I forgot the term for them, but basically what happens in these movies is the man breaks down the women, woman slowly. She doesn't want anything to do with him. She keeps saying no, no, no. And then eventually at the end of the movie, he finally gets her after just like wearing her down. Yeah, right? yeah. And they believe that that's how courtship goes. Right, right. So you just have to keep the pressure on and then eventually women give in and they're having to kind of undo this learning and teach them a different way, the men. And so maybe we have some of that going on in society where, for whatever reason, um, men are receiving these messages about how this stuff works from wherever they're receiving it, and they need to receive a different message. And I don't know how to get that out, you know? Yeah. Look, it is is a bummer. It is a conversation that we need to have. Um, But I I think that these, these types who are rushing to commiserate with these terrorist types. Um, I think their sympathy is misplaced. I think it should really be with the women who are their potential victims. Not, you know, I, I'm not I'm not so concerned with the ISIS member who cuts off the heads of, of fellow Muslims and Jews and, and Christians. Um, I'm more concerned about the, the beheaded, not the beheader. So... So I think, uh, well, first of all, uh, thank you for the voicemails, you guys. We appreciate it very much. If you, too, would like to sound off, leave a voicemail, further the conversation with us, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Last episode, maybe it was, we talked about luck, about how... You, people don't, they're taking credit. How did the conversation come up? Remind me. I think it was Kelly in New England and her call that prompted the conversation. I don't remember what she said specifically, but I think it was something about oh, like, like not the, black and white thinking. The forgotten, or, the, that forgotten element of the, the white working class being yeah. ignored. Kind yeah. of a thing, I think, is what it was. Yeah, and so then we got into a conversation about kind of the gray areas in life and that things are more difficult, and then we started talking about luck, and we invited people to write in about their own perspectives on luck in their life, and we got some pretty uh, good messages. So I'm going to read one of them here. Um, 
Episode 401, Brittany spoke of luck in life. This is an important conversation, especially in the pull yourself up by your bootstraps conservative world. First, luck certainly does not discount hard work and drive. These are mutually exclusive things. And as Brittany discussed, there are plenty of hardworking people who just find themselves on the wrong side of lucky. I have personal, personally seen this throughout my life and have a friend now that works very hard and has tried several times to get out of the hole, but life just keeps shitting on her. It sucks because she deserves some of those breaks so many take for granted. I have no less than 10 major lucky things that have happened to me to bring me to my current life, and I think about them frequently. I do work toward my goals and always have, but I never discount the massive fortunate happenstances that have opened doors and helped create my path. This also helps me to empathize more with those who haven't experienced the same breaks as me, and also grounds me knowing that on any day, my life could take a turn for the worst. Side note, I always have a go bag and a secret bank account at the ready. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I say this is an important conversation because I believe that if more people, people, particularly on the right of the right wing variety, began to explore their own life's luck and perhaps what would have happened if X didn't lead to Y didn't lead to Z, then they might begin to wonder how things could have gone very differently. The thought experiment would hopefully lead to empathy in realizing that not everyone gets the breaks we have had, and not everyone who needs help is a lazy good for nothing. I hope this conversation really moves forward and sparks callers to discuss their own lucky breaks. Sharing of stories has the tendency to kick us in the heart, nuts, and take stock in our own journeys. I love you kids to the moon. Brett number one. Brett number one. It says B1, but... I guess we could just shorten it to B1. Nah. <laughs> so I love that a lot. And this is something I feel very passionate about. In fact, anytime there's like a pick yourself up by your bootstraps news article. You get fired up. I get tagged in it. People send it to me because yeah. they know it's my thing that I hate. And I, like Brett said... You can identify people in your life where this is the case for them as well, where they work really hard and things just don't work out for them, you know. And I think if you know people like that, it, it forces you to also recognize what what happened in your life, like he said, to to get you on your path. Um, so... Well, you know, there's that saying that like it's like luck favors the well-prepared or something like that. And mm -hmm. if you are working hard... You're going to be, and you're, you're. I think you're going to be more easily able to recognize those opportunities that come by happenstance along your path that you luck into, but it's doing something with them. And a lot of times, people get so down because they're not, they, they they don't catch a break. They're not catching breaks that they just. It's almost like giving up, mm -hmm. and then they're not recognizing the moments that might come their way. Yeah, I had a, a teacher friend message me one time and say that she told her class about me and my story. Mm -hmm. And it kind of bothered me because I don't know if this person would give full credit to the luck. And not just, oh, she did it on her own and she's amazing. Right. And there's too many of these stories that people try to try to share about a person who overcame whatever obstacle and they did it all by themselves and no if you really get in there in that story yeah there's gonna be 
there's going to be multiple situations, multiple people that helped put that person on a path yeah. to get out of their situation. Lots of angels in your life who have helped you. Yeah. And and I just... I well, think, I don't think it fits that sexy narrative of, and she did it. She overcame. She has grit. You know, it's... It, it, people want like an easy, easy narrative, an easy story to tell that 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 ticks all the boxes, rather than a nuanced, complex tale of your life right. that uh, involves not only perseverance and grit and, right. and determination, but also, holy shit, you know, you were given a car at sixteen, right, and that set you on your way of not having to work an extra job, and I mean, there all kinds of things. Yeah, uh, eighteen. I was planning 18. on I was planning on um, buying a scooter and <laughs> driving a scooter during the winter time to get to college in Idaho. In Idaho, yeah, to college, twenty miles away. Right, and then a family <laughs> friend gave me my my beloved Toyota Tercel. And so, yeah, that's and that's something that um, I reflect on every year. And I'm actually getting emotional talking about it now because it was such a profound thing for someone to do that for me. Yeah. It also allowed you to move to California. Right. In that shitty little Tercel that ran and ran and ran and ran. And, and it, com- it completely changed things for me. Yeah. Completely. And that someone would overlook. Anyway. Right. Um Thank you, Brett. Number one, of course, we it, well written, beautiful. We appreciate the message very much. I think we have another about this very same topic. Hello, Jesse and Brittany E. Page. I guess we're really official here. Um, <laughs> Are you done crying? No, like a little whiner. Yeah, uh, we don't cry on this show, Brittany. You Page. know, crying and sickness do not go well together because I'm full of fluids. It's like and it's, it's like you just dove off the diving board and you're filled with pool water. I know. It's Daniel from Austin. Daniel from Austin. On the topic of luck and how it plays a part in our lives, there is a great book out there called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. It goes into great detail of very famous and successful people on how and why they got to where they are at today. From the Beatles to Bill Gates, the author covers quite a unique group of people. In college, I despised reading, having to do it every day, but this book was one I did not want to put down. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to understand what it takes to be successful, and yes, luck plays a huge part of it. Anyways, keep kicking ass every day. Michelle Wolf was amazing, and Jesse's the best part. Semper Fi, brother. Brittany, you're a close second. Daniel. Stay green, Maureen. I'm assuming they're Marine. Okay. (laughs) You guys have your little moment. So uh, (laughs) I haven't read that book. I I, I would recommend it. I I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Malcolm Gladwell, but normally when he he takes the time to put pen to paper, it's it's decent. Um, Again, it's just more. It it is. It's the stories aren't just. Brittany Page related. They're also, again, Bill Gates. I don't know what the story is with the Beatles, but everyone who's successful, whether it's the luck of their birth, the family to which they're born, the country into which they're born, there's luck is from the very beginning gonna play a role. I also want to say that a lot of these stories are like happily ever after and then they lived happily ever yeah, after yeah. and it's like no the struggle continues. Hell yeah. <laughs> and there's there's difficult days ahead still um and it's not like once you're through it you're through it. 
you know, it's, yeah. it's never like that for anybody. I mean, that's just the nature of life. So uh, these these motivational speaker types, those stories, it just really bothers me. And I hope that we can move toward a more realistic way of talking about these things in the future. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. So we have two new Patreon supporters. New. John. John. And Thomas. Thomas. And then we have one Patreon supporter who upped their pledge, and that is Tobias. Tobias. Yep. All of that is real good news. (laughs) (laughs) We love you guys. Um, We are marching steadily toward our goal of a third show per week. Um, I don't know exactly how that'll look, but we are looking forward to it. I think it'll be awesome. Uh, we we love the support, of course. We, we Patreon has been a blessing for us. Here I'm going into evangelical mode. What a blessing! Um, if you want to support the show and you're not into the to the to the Patreon thing, you can do it on PayPal. Go to dollamore.com/slash/paypal. You can even go to dollamore.com on the left hand side of the page. We got our very first cryptocurrency mm-hmm. yep. donation to the show, and goddamn, Steve and Kelsey, yep, so awesome, amazing. There was a little bit of a of a me not you know learning curve because I'm kind of dumb and don't know anything about cryptocurrency. Does anyone really get it though? Yeah, I think some people really do. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we were able to get it figured out, and uh, all those wallet numbers are good. You just got to send the, the the specific currency that it is to the specific wallet. Uh-huh. And crypto people will know what I'm talking about. Those of you who aren't into crypto, just you know, skip ahead or don't because we're done talking about it. But can I skip ahead? Or Steve, <laughs> right, right. I'm just kidding. I really appreciate the gift. Yeah, Steve Kelsey, you guys, we we love you guys. We appreciate your listenership. Um, more than anything, we appreciate your listenership. Very but, much. But we very much appreciate the the support of the show financially. Yeah. Uh, there's also Amazon, dollamore.com slash Amazon, where you can go buy all kinds of, of Amazon-y crap on, on uh, you know, putting a little money in Jeff Bezos' pocket. And a little, 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 little bit in, in ours as well. What do you think it is about the crypto that is just so overwhelming to me that, like, my brain just refuses to understand it i don't know if you, you hear people start rambling on about blockchain and it's my so my eyes glass over and it's a math it's math stuff too and you're you know that's why it's just functionally down. literate yeah when it comes to the math stuff that so. is true anyway lo- we love you guys we appreciate you um as always um we uh deep deep abiding love and emotion for our audience, um, which, again, is one more element of luck that cannot be discounted. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, here we are. Again, well, first of all, all kinds of stuff has happened since Monday. Yeah. I mean, insane, you know, Rudy Giuliani, uh, the Mueller investigation is is marching on. Yeah. Lots of headlines. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. 
uh, on the on the guest host show. Yeah, with Catherine. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get into this. This it's this is just going to be like a double episode. It's going to be a long episode because that's fine. There's so much going on here. Michelle Wolf is a comedian who works for the Daily Show. Used to be a writer on on Seth Meyers' show. Yeah, and she's uh very funny. Yeah, I didn't know. I've never watched her stand up. I don't know a lot about her. Yeah, well, we don't watch the Daily Show. Yeah, so. I haven't watched the Daily Show since John Stewart left. So I, I really don't know anything about her. Um, I do watch Seth Meyers occasionally, the like segments that are on YouTube where he does the the takedowns of Trump. Yeah, a closer look. Yes, but um, she was fantastic. Yeah. So she did her bit. Her tw- 19 minutes, twenty minutes is all she did. Right. And. I'm very disappointed in several figures in the media who reacted like whiny little children over this stand-up act. This was incredible. Maggie Haberman from the New York Times was acting ridiculous. Poppy Harlow from CNN. And Jonathan Berman. John John Berman. And uh, and, uh, Jeff Zeleny. I I was almost going to pause and write the time down so I could edit it out. Yeah. Jeff Zeleny's another one like, oh, oh, harumph. I'm, oh, I do declare this is on, (laughs) this is uncivilized. Yeah. Just insane. Yeah. So we watched it on CNN and I think many of the channels streamed it. Uh, It wasn't just C-SPAN. And when they came back from the roast, because that's what essentially it is. It's a roast. It is a roast. And Poppy Harlow and John Berman were the hosts of this giant panel, like a nine-person panel to discuss the comedy act, because where do you want to go for like comedy analysis? <laughs> CNN panelists. <laughs> and they they immediately started saying, whoa, that was vulgar. Oh, I hope the kids aren't watching. And he like named his kids' names and said, I hope you're in bed. You know what this is, especially if you work in the media. And for me, I've been watching White House Correspondents Dinners every year for right. I don't know how long. You know what it is. They're going to roast the people in the room. Yeah. They're going to make fun of Chris Christie's weight. They're going to make fun of Donald Trump's hair. Like, there's things that happen there. It's not just innocent little, like, skits. Not only that, but you know that the the, the the content of the comedy this year especially is going to be a little bit more brutal because we have a little bit more brutal president. Right. What we is she going to talk about? Who's banging porn stars and Playboy playmates? Yeah, and paying them is off. She, is she going to be? Oh, he doesn't like to exercise. But I'm bum. I mean, it's <laughs> that's not going to be the way. Where well, that's in no reasonable expectation could right. someone think that's what's going to happen. So here's a, a, a very. Um, I'm going to play as much as I'll play of it until I get tired of it, but. This is a panel the next day on CNN hosted by uh, John King. Right. Where they just, again, it's this sensible, I'm so delicate, I don't understand. I do declare. There was a dinner last night here in Washington. The president has decided for political strategy purposes to go on the road two years in a row during this dinner. I get it. Smart politics on the president's part. Uh, But did, did uh, the media play into the president's hand with a dinner last night uh, where the comedian was, some say, crossed the lines. Uh, the attacks on Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, uh, were, in my view, I was not there. Uh, you were, Jeff Zeleny, uh, way too personal. Uh, there's a way to do this and there's a way not to do this. What happened? Uh, look, there was a comedian at the dinner uh, last evening. Um, I thought the jokes were one-sided, not necessarily funny, but she was invited by the White House Correspondents Association. So 
You know, I think that uh, this dinner has had a lot of uh, bad moments. I was thinking back uh, last evening as I was watching this cringeworthy uh, performance in some respects going after the appearance of Sarah Sanders, which I thought was inappropriate and not funny. You know, the uh, weapons of mass destruction video uh, from the Bush administration where people were climbing around the floor of the Oval Office looking for the WMD, also not funny. So it's not the first time there have been awkward moments. But look, I think the president wins. He goes out to Washington, a township of Michigan, uh, far away from this. The press uh, has done a lot of incredible uh, work this year here at CNN, of course, the Washington Post, New York Times, other places. Uh, A lot of that was, uh, I think, uh, overtaken by uh, a skit that wasn't very funny, and we sometimes uh, celebrate ourselves too much, I think. The reality is it's an uh, important job, and last night, I don't think we lived up to it. Right. Incredibly important moment in the sense that we do need to stand up to this president who attacks us. Sure. We do need to stand up to this White House, which often uh, shades, if not just twists and bends the truth. Uh, but there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it, and you invite people at your table. You invite people at your table. This is supposed to be a circuit breaker dinner. Supposed to be a circuit breaker dinner where we know this is tense throughout the year. Uh, we're going to invite you into this room. You have to find the right balance. It's also, I mean, like if, if you endorse a comedian, even if you're not vetting the jokes, you're effectively endorsing what they say, and she is effectively speaking for the press at a very, very tense moment. And and also, I mean, it's it, there's the optics of it, right? Because this is fine, the circuit breaker between reporter and subject. Okay, cool. But it's not that. It's the reporter and the subject, and you're inviting all of America into the living room where you're having that circuit breaker chat, you know? And the optics of it do not translate necessarily that well. And if you are somebody who is already primed to be skeptical of whether the media is, you know, um, unbiased or not, it's difficult to have the disclaimer that says, wait a second, this is just an outtake. This isn't really us because you see what you see. And when you have the president on the other screen, you know, talking the way he's talking and not letting up, you know, he's not doing a circuit breaker speech. There you go. Well, I, I, some people love these things. I stopped going to prom a long time ago. I think it jumped the shark a long time ago. Uh, but uh, here, the president trying to take advantage of it this morning. While Washington, Michigan was a big success, Washington, D.C. just didn't work. Everyone is talking about the fact that the White House Correspondents' Center was a big bust, big boring bust. It's all called comedian really bond. Uh, look, people will have different views on this, but the president, this is one of the reasons he is president, runs against the establishment, runs against the elites. Uh, smart politics from the president right out of the box on Twitter this morning. Yeah, this absolutely 100 percent, as we talked about, the green room was a gift to him. Um, Chris Wallace received a, 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 a journalism award, I think, maybe four months ago or so. And I remember him saying um, to the media, the message was, do not get sucked in into this narrative the president has been trying to peddle for a long time, which is that it's me versus the press and the press is out to get me. A lot of times, you know, we are attacked, our, uh, our stories are attacked, they're called fake news. And the, uh, the reflex is to defend uh, yourself and maybe make jokes at the White House, but if you do that, you undermine your own credibility, and it's just a bad look for us. We have to be, uh, we have to, we can't get down. I don't agree. And then this, the the next guy doesn't agree, Um, and that's fine. I I don't want to, I'm not trying to give both sides here, uh, but that's not why I'm cutting it off. But I want to talk about her last point. She's saying, oh, it's not us against him. It's not us against him. But then she says in, at the beginning, she says, it was a gift to him. Mm -hmm. Who cares if it's a gift to him? If you're just doing your job, and, and, and having a good night of, uh, of uh, awards and you happen to have a roast, why is it a bad thing that it was a gift politically to the president if it's not him against us? Mm-hmm. The other thing that was said there, which is fucking patently ridiculous. That she's effectively speaking for the press. Exactly. Yeah, they do not vet her jokes. So they don't say, you need to hand me the list of jokes you'll be making. I need to approve them. No, they don't review them. She just tells them. 
So, no, she's not effectively speaking for the press. She was entertainment. Yeah, she's not speaking for anyone. And she's a comedian making jokes. I, this better goddamn have been said about every other host uh, or every other entertainer that has been invited yeah. because this is this better not be a unique talking point to Michelle Wolf. I haven't heard this in the past. I know that other entertainers have been just as controversial. Stephen Colbert was apparently quite controversial. Yeah, by the way, we don't have any Stephen Colbert clips from 2006 because <laughs> it was so tame yeah. and mundane. Yeah. And apparently there was outrage, which leads me to believe... That this will age well. Yeah, no. that Well, no, yeah, for sure this will age well. But mm-hmm. also that this is like manufactured bullshit. They want to maintain their access to the president... So they have to act, oh, I'm so, I can't believe this happened, ha, 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 secretly knowing, yeah, that was funny. Yeah. And next year we're going to do the same goddamn thing where we have a comedian come on, they do their job, they do what they're hired to do, and then the media acts all outraged. Well, Megan Garber of The Atlantic, who everything that she's written for The Atlantic, I've loved. Although as I'm saying that, I probably shouldn't say that because I don't know if I've read everything and maybe there's something that is bad. Okay. But she wrote... Next, Joanne Reed. She wrote this article, The Slow, Awkward Death of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And in it, she talked about how things have changed since the first correspondence dinner in 1921 and the press has kind of become celeb they've become celebrities yeah, yeah. of their of tv right maggie haberman is widely known jake tapper is on jimmy kimmel and ellen and right yeah. um making appearances and they are journalists supposed to hold power to account yeah but they're also the power. And in that room, Michelle Wolf was taking on the powerful. Including bo- the press. Both the government yeah. and the press. And so it was vulnerable for them to be mocked to their faces. And it was probably a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. And so there could also be a reaction that they're having just struggling with the fact that they are power and that because they're not holding themselves accountable for their flaws that they have, uh, Michelle Wolf was doing that for them. Yeah, right. And even people have made points like, listen, if the press said, why are you lying? Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you're lying right now. If they didn't treat her with kid gloves, that Michelle Wolf wouldn't need to get up there and talk about how she's a liar yeah. because that would already be talked about. And Michelle Wolf wouldn't need to do that, right? No one should be outraged by a comedian, any American, saying that Sarah Huckabee Sanders and this administration is filled to the brim with fucking liars. Yeah, and the weird thing about Maggie Haberman, you commented on her, she tweeted immediately after this and defended Sarah Huckabee Sanders from jokes that were made about her appearance. Now, that's not what happened. We'll get to the clip. And Maggie Haberman is an intelligent woman who... Who who signed a book deal last year, September of 2017, with Glenn Thrush to write a book about this presidency. And if without access, what kind of book is that going to be? I think there's double dealing here. I think there's another motivation. Yeah, I mean, it's problematic because she's willfully distorting what those jokes were about. Right. So let's, let's get into the clips. So... It starts off and and, and and Michelle Williams, Michelle Williams, Michelle Wolf makes a joke about Trump not being there. And uh, it set the night off pretty, pretty good. Of course, 
Trump isn't here, if you haven't noticed. He's not here. And I know, I know I would drag him here myself, but it turns out the President of the United States is the one pussy you're not allowed to grab. <laughs> he said it first. Yeah, he did. You remember? Good. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> and true. Uh-huh. And, all, and, he, and he did say it first. Yes. So don't get offended by the word because all, people like to play that game. For sure. Oh, oh, did you say pussy? Yeah. How many times did John Berman and Poppy Harlow say that it was a raunchy? Oh, yeah. it was so raunchy. Yeah. You mean Donald Trump, who was the one saying that he moved on her like a bitch. He did try to fuck her. Okay. He's the one who's speaking like yeah. this. You not know? only that, but listen, She's not going to come armed with knock-knock jokes with Donald Trump sitting in the goddamn Oval Office. Trump is racist, though. (laughs) He loves white nationalists, which is a weird term for a Nazi. Calling a Nazi a white nationalist is like calling a pedophile a kid friend. (laughs) Or Harvey Weinstein a ladies' man. Which isn't really fair. He also likes plants. There was also a lot of controversy over her abortion joke. Yes. Which, when I heard it, I did, uh, like, I recoiled a little bit because it was, the setup for the joke was harsh. Yes. But the setup of, of for the joke was to set up the the next part of it, which is to talk about hypocrisy on the part of Republicans who are having sex with mistresses, getting them pregnant, and then in their public persona, being outraged by abortion, right. but then privately paying women to terminate pregnancies that they've had out of a, a, apart from their wives. Yeah, and it was actually artfully done because that part that made you kind of uh, uncomfortable was meant to cause groans so yes. that she could say, oh, yeah, I know, I know, abortion is a problem for you until this. Yes. And, and illustrate the, the, using their reaction, illustrate that point. Mike Pence is also very anti-choice. He thinks abortion is murder, which, first of all, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> and when you do try it, really knock it. You know, you got to get that baby out of there. And yeah, sure, you can groan all you want. I know a lot of you are very anti-abortion, you know, unless it's the one you got for your secret mistress. It's fun how values can waver, but good for you. She did it on purpose. She said something groan-worthy. She she tried to solicit the groan Mm -hmm. so she could hit her punchline even harder. Right. Listen, this is... I think I was talking to somebody the other day after this that breaking down why something's funny mm-hmm. is like the <laughs> least my least fucking favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Like, well, you have to, you know, the technical aspect of jokes. Right. For me, it's like uh, pulling back the curtain at a Penn and Teller show mm-hmm. and then showing how the tricks are done. Yeah. It's just not the same anymore. Right. So I don't like it. But in this case, I think some of that needs to be done to really point out that. She didn't wasn't just trying to be offensive. Yes. She was said the joke wasn't about abortion mm-hmm. and how great abortion is. Right. And I don't think we have a bunch of uh wildly conservative religious right asswipes in in our audience. Right. If we are, just flip it off, go fucking home. But um that's not what her point was. No. The point was the hypocrisy 
and the settlements that we're hearing about from stalwart Republican leaders. And I've been very disappointed in the media for every interview that I've seen, for example, with Matt Schlapp. Um, who tweeted that he got up and left yeah. when this joke was made. He got up and left because the abortion joke was too much for him. Um, he should have stayed and listened to the punchline um, because that would be an important point for him. And instead of bringing that up, every time he goes on these interviews and talks about how offensive that joke was, no one is saying, well, there was actually a point to that. Yeah. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that point to the joke. Because do you feel that's a problem? That the people in your party that say they're pro-life and then, yeah. uh-oh, some emails get leaked, some text messages, yeah. right? And we see that maybe there's a, like she said, values can waver, huh? And I feel like that's a good conversation to have with these people. Matt Schlapp, by the way, tweeted that he got up and left while he was in his limo ride to the yeah. NBC, MSNBC after party. <laughs> So that's interesting. Talking about being attacked by the elites. Yeah. <laughs> from his limo. From, literally from his limo. To literally. his media after yeah. party. This isn't some li- like a metaphor we're talking about. He was literally in a limo driving from uh, escaping the being attacked from elites. Yeah. Going to the MSNBC after party. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Matt Schlapp. <laughs> so the other part of this was... And this, I think, got the most outrage. And that was the fact that they said that Michelle Wolf was attacking the looks of of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Well, the most significant part of this for me is that we get to see how people really feel about how Sarah Huckabee Sanders looks. Um, because be- she didn't attack her looks. Yeah, because this is pretty much all about like what they feel about her looks yeah. and what they heard based yeah. on how they feel about her looks. So before we play the Sarah Huckabee Sanders elements, I, she she did talk about uh, Conway, Kellyanne Conway. But before she talked about Kellyanne Conway, she did make some fun of someone's looks. Yeah. It was her own looks. Yes. We should definitely talk about the women in the Trump administration. There's Kellyanne Conway. Man, she has the perfect last name for what she does. Conway. <laughs> It's like if my name was Michelle Jokes Frizzy Hair Small Tits. <laughs> you guys gotta stop putting Kellyanne on your shows. All she does is lie. If you don't give her a platform, she has nowhere to lie. It's like that old saying, if a tree falls in the woods, how do we get Kellyanne under that tree? <laughs> I'm not suggesting she gets hurt, just stuck. <laughs> So next, again, all of that, you know, funny or not, I don't think the the Conway is Uh kind of a, it's lazy. Yeah. (laughs) But here is really what the crux of the evening became. Well, hold on. I want to say that she also criticized Mitch McConnell's looks and Chris Christie's looks. That's right. Uh, Chris Christie is always targeted in these things, like every year. I think it's just a tradition. About how fat he is. Yeah. And and, he's a fat guy. And (laughs) when she commented on it, he was eating his dessert and they cut to him and he was like licking the spoon. And he he knew he was going to be on camera and was leaning. Look, if I can say anything about Chris Christie. Yeah. Positive. It's that he... He's okay with it. Yeah, he was on He laughs his ass off when they make fun of him. He's he's a good sport. Right. Like all of these assholes should be. Yeah, and then she made a joke about Mitch McConnell's neck needing to be circumcised or getting circumcised or something. That's right. Which led to 
Paul Ryan not being there, right. saying he's already circumcised. The problem is when they did it, when they were down there, they took his balls, too. So yeah. it, again, was a setup. And, you know, it's weird how no one is jumping to Chris Christie's defense, Mitch McConnell's defense, Paul Ryan's defense, saying, oh, this was so offensive to right. Mitch McConnell. It's only the delicate lays. Yes. And of course, we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We are graced with Sarah's presence tonight. I have to say, I'm a little starstruck. I love you as Aunt Lydia and the Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Mike Pence, if you haven't seen it, you would love it. Every time Sarah steps up to the podium, I get excited because I'm not really sure what we're going to get. You know, a press briefing, a bunch of lies, or divided into softball teams. It's shirts and skins, and this time don't be such a little bitch, Jim Acosta. <laughs> Jim Acosta, who had a good reaction, by the way. Yes. I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like, she burns facts, and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. Like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. <laughs> and I'm never really sure what to call Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, is it Sarah Sanders? Is it Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Is it Cousin Huckabee? Is it Auntie Huckabee Sanders? Like, what's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? <laughs> oh, I know, Aunt Coulter. <laughs> A lot of groaning, a lot of awkward bullshit. Yeah, well, listen, it was definitely, I think I had my hands on my face while this was happening because Sarah Sanders was sitting like two people away from her and Michelle Wolf kept looking at her like, I'm doing this to you. Are you hearing yeah. me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it takes balls to do that. Yeah. I mean, that is a difficult deal. And I, I thought it was a great moment because, again, there's no one that is holding these people accountable. In this way, there's few people that are being this direct. You have that Playboy reporter, um, Brian Karam. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah, that's right. And he's one of the few people that I think does that. Um, he wrote an article about how the the press office is always delaying the start time of the press conference. And he goes back there and says, uh, what's going on? Are we starting? You know, and he right, right. he's very upfront with them because they need to do their job. Yeah. And... I think if more journalists behave that way, we might be getting somewhere. Probably not, honestly. You should just keep lying. But someone had to do this, right? Uh, well, it's it's high time that someone as boldly did it as Michelle Wolf. Um, they should be thankful. Well, what honestly, I talk, what I want to talk about is there was no physical attack there. No, she says, "Oh, you got a perfect smoky eye," which, by the way, from what I know about makeup, that's a thing that hurt. Her makeup is done very well, right? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it, might not, it might not be your style, but she she does have the perfect smoky eye, which is, which is a style of eye makeup. Yeah. So it wasn't about the goddamn making fun of her makeup or her face or her... Even the Aunt Lydia comment from Handmaid's Tale yeah. is about this religious nutter butter who's, who's all self-righteous and hurting other women. Right. That's the point of that joke. And I heard Meghan McCain try to say that that joke was comparing her to like a woman in her 60s or something. Ugh. You know, 
obviously the joke was like too sophisticated for some people that they like didn't understand yeah. what's behind it because it wasn't comparing her to like the actress. Again, that's why she like used the character name because she's comparing her to the character. Yeah. What is wrong with these people? But let's listen to the smoky eye joke one more time. really like Sarah I think she's very resourceful like she burns facts and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye like maybe she's born with it maybe it's lies it's probably lies which is a play off of maybe it's Maybelline Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Right? Isn't that what that is? Yeah, exactly. So maybe she's born with it. Yeah. Maybe it's lies. Yeah, it's great. It's a great joke that has nothing fucking to do Mm -hmm. with her appearance. Right. And I even heard people say, I heard her say she burns her fat. And I'm like, Ugh. again, you're just hearing what you want to hear because yeah. you think Sarah Sanders is unattractive. Like, that's on you, bro. Yeah. That is <laughs> not on you, bro. That is not on Michelle Wolf. Like, you're hearing what you want to hear because you have a perception of Sarah Huckabee Sanders that is apparently not great, okay? Yeah. And so you're hearing negative things. Like, that's on you. Yeah. Are you listening, Maggie Haberman? That's on you. So... Her parting joke, though, she went out with a great call to action relative to Flint, Michigan, but also holding these self-righteous assholes in the media accountable for what they've done and what they continue to do. You guys are obsessed with Trump. Did you used to date him? Because you pretend like you hate him, but I think you love him. I think what no one in this room wants to admit is that Trump has helped all of you. He couldn't sell steaks or vodka or water or college or ties or Eric. (laughs) But he has helped you. He's helped you sell your papers and your books and your TV. You helped create this monster and now you're profiting off of him. And if you're going to profit off of Trump, you should at least give him some money because he doesn't have any. (laughs) Trump is so broke. He grabs pussies because he thinks there might be loose change in them. All right, like an immigrant who was brought here by his parents and didn't do anything wrong. I got to get the fuck out of here. Good night. Clint still doesn't have clean water. I don't know why, but every time that makes me emotional. Mm-hmm. The last thing about Flint. Mm-hmm. She, she's taking a moment to... Listen, I think the entire act was genius. I think the entire thing was a service to the country. And it bums me out. I expected the Trump administration to act like asswipes about this. But I was shocked and very dismayed that the media, in large part, acted like jerk-offs. Two, let me, I, I want to give two shout outs to, to two members of, of CNN who didn't act like whiny little whiners. Wow, <laughs> going out the rails here. That's Jim Acosta and Jay Tapp. Yeah. Jay Tapp, both of them had very metered um, perspective, pro, uh, perspectives. Well, weird because Jim Acosta is taking all the hits. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You watch him in that room when he tries to ask a question and. The hatred is palpable. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders hates that guy. And he he feels it. And yeah. and so 
all of these people who were acting like this was supposed to be a night of unity, we were coming together. It's never that. It's never that. And no, the point of being a journalist is you, and Jake Tapper talks about this, you do have an adversarial relationship with the government because you're holding power accountable. Yeah. And they don't like that. And that's the whole point. So it can be, you know, having drinks, having a good time. But there's also the reality that you can't ignore that Donald Trump, while this is going on, is holding a rally where Trump supporters are walking by the press saying hateful things to them like they always do at these events. And Donald Trump's talking about jailing journalists. Calling them the enemy of America. Talking about jailing journalists to James Comey when he's the director of the FBI and private conversations. You know, this is this is serious stuff. And I understand, oh, we wanted to come together and have a nice night, whatever. Well, that that was your part. You did that. Good job. Michelle Wolf was the entertainment and she did something else. And it's just it's weird to see her demonized. And I'm happy that all comedians are coming together to support her and what she did because they understand what comedians are supposed to do. And she did what comedians are supposed to do. Yeah. She did an interview with Terry Gross of NPR. And um, that's her name, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And she said that one of her friends who helped her write the jokes, she didn't name them. She said that before she went on, they gave her a note and it said, be true to yourself. Never apologize. Burn it to the ground. And she did that. And it was hard to do because that room, she said it at the end there, all of you guys in this room, you know, I'm talking to you. I'm pointing out your flaws. This is what you've done wrong. No one likes to hear that. Right. And they didn't take it to heart. Yeah. Clearly. She also, by the way, hasn't apologized. In fact, she said, I would say every single word again. Right. What's weird to me, and it's not weird, I hope you can sense the sarcasm in my voice, is that (laughs) the the Trump administration, Sarah Huckabee Sanders specifically, it's weird that they don't know about taking jokes because they sure do like to convince the media Uh about Donald Trump's hilariousness all the time. Again, uh, he wasn't questioning the Secretary of State's intelligence. He made he, he made a joke. Maybe you guys should uh, get a sense of humor and try it sometime. But um, he simply made a joke. He's been extremely clear time and time again, despite the fact that you guys want to continue to bring this up and create a story. He's got 100% confidence in the Secretary of State. He said it uh, multiple times over the last couple of weeks. And we're trying to move forward and focus on the agenda. Why you guys want to move forward and talk about who likes who when that's simply not what we're doing here so one this points out that they do want to rely on this joke thing all the time because they have such wonderful senses of humor but also that they're fucking liars because only weeks after this rex tillerson was fired unceremoniously by tweet Mm -hmm. so he has 100% confidence in Rex Tillerson? No, he didn't. You're a fucking liar. Well, and this keeps happening because people keep getting fired. Right. <laughs> there continue to be issues. The media hear, hears about it um, from their sources. They report on it. Donald Trump tweets, calls it a lie. Two weeks later, it becomes reality. Like, he made a joke. Maybe you guys should uh, get a sense of humor and try it sometime. Oh, this is a joke, Brittany. Well, you know what I would have loved is while Sarah Sanders was sitting there like a sourpuss hearing these jokes on stage, they should have just said, oh, can we get that? Can we get that clip real quick? And play yes. that audio 
video yeah. of getting a sense of humor because it isn't just this one instance. They continuously say that. Kellyanne Conway has been on the news saying it was a sarcastic comment. It was a joke. Blah, blah, blah. We have the comedian in chief. And is that the case? Yeah. Should you guys get a sense of humor? So let's let's dive in really quickly on past um, White House correspondence dinners. Uh, going back to 2011. Mm-hmm. Speaking of making fun of people's looks, by the way, uh, it's she's a comedian. Uh-huh. This clip is from a comedian. Uh, that's what they do. It's a roast as well. Yes. It's meant to be mean-spirited because it's a roast. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. <laughs> Donald Trump often appears on Fox, which is ironic, because a fox often appears on Donald Trump's head. (laughs) If you're at the Washington Post table with Trump and you can't finish your entree, don't worry, the fox will eat it. (laughs) And if I can for a moment talk about the birther issue, when did we get so suspicious about where people were born? A USA Today poll last week said 38% of Americans think the president was definitely born in the U.S. In the same poll, in the very same poll, only 5% more said Donald Trump was definitely born in the U.S. Has it reached the point where Americans only think something was ha- someone was born here if they saw it? I know I was born here, and I know my younger brother was born here. But when it comes to my older brother, I can only take him at his word. Gary Busey said recently that Donald Trump would make a great president. Of course, he said the same thing about an old rusty birdcage he found. (laughs) Donald Trump owns the Miss USA pageant, which is great for Republicans because it will streamline their search for a vice president. (laughs) Donald Trump said recently he has a great relationship with the blacks, So unless the blacks are a family of white people, I bet he's mistaken. (laughs) I like that Trump is filthy rich, but nobody told his accent. His whole life is models and gold leaf and marble columns, but he still sounds like a know-it-all down at the OTB. Mr. Trump may not be a good choice for president, but he would definitely make a great press secretary. How much fun would that be? Kim Jong-il is a loser. His latest rally was a flop. I feel bad for Ahmadinejad. He he never man wears a windbreaker. He has no class. I, on the other hand, sell my own line of ties. You can find them at Macy's in the flammable section. (laughs) Now this, this was 2011. So this is, this is... Seven years ago, and they're acting as though, oh, it's a new level of mean-spiritedness at the White House Correspondence Dinner. Right. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, well, my favorite part about that was when he made the, unless the blacks are a family of white people, <laughs> and they cut to Obama, and he's just dying. Yeah, he's yeah, laughing yeah. so hard. So that was a lot of attack. Yeah. That was a lot of physical stuff. Right. Uh, 2012, next year. Mm-hmm. Huh. Chris Christie, again, every year, Chris Christie. Yeah. 
I had the opportunity to sit next to the first lady Jimmy tonight. Kimmel. She's very, very nice. And uh, no matter what side of the fence you're on, you have to admit, she's done a lot of good work. She just wants us to be healthy, really. is all. Mrs. Obama, I thank you for that. Look, it's Chris Christie. Get him. You know, they say that inside every American governor is a president struggling to get out. In Chris Christie's case, it's the only one where you can still hear him screaming. <laughs> governor Christie, I think you might be misunderstanding New Jersey's slogan. It's not the Olive Garden state. It's the Garden State. So first, I don't know if I mentioned, but 2011, the, the clip with the long set again, about Trump was uh, Seth Meyers from the the show. What's the name of his show? Late Night? Late Night or is that Seth it? Meyers. I don't know. Late anyway. Show? Yeah, one, one of those. Anyway, and so that obviously is Jimmy Kimmel from 2012. Right. Here's another personal uh, joke about appearance about Democrat James Carville. Every election year, CNN comes up with new and increasingly amazing technology. They have the magic wall this year. They had the hologram four years ago. And yet, with all their technical wizardry, they still haven't figured out a way to make James Carville look less like a hairless, boiled cat. Still 2012, talking about Rachel Maddow, another liberal Democrat. As a result of all the success Fox News has had, MSNBC has uh, moved a bit to the left of Hugo Chavez lately. <laughs> MSNBC has a very big star now in Rachel Maddow. Rachel hosts her own show. She's a best-selling author. And yet somehow she still manages to find time to cut her own hair. <laughs> the Rachel was a very different hairstyle when Jennifer Aniston had it. Rachel Maddow also wrote a book. In it, she argues that the unchecked expansion of executive power since Vietnam has resulted in a country that is perpetually at war, which comes at disastrous cost, not only financially, but to the very ideals on which the United States was founded. Women, nag, 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 you know? <laughs> so I got a couple more from Jimmy Kimmel. We're going to play the, well, I'll skip that one, but because uh, it's when he calls Bill Maher an asshole. Mm -hmm. uh, I was gonna there's several that I've skipped yeah. just for time yeah. because of I wanted to point out how raunchy they all are right. because she used the word fuck quote unquote raunchy yeah that she got fucked by Bear Stearns yeah. I skipped that clip I don't have to explain anyway right so speaking of attacking the press secretary yes Jimmy Kimmel in 2012 did the exact same thing pointing out the lies right from Jay of Carney. Jay Carney, mm -hmm. formerly of Time Magazine. I don't know where he is now. But he was the press secretary for Barack Obama. And he was square in the crosshairs of Jimmy Kimmel's jokes because it's appropriate. And that's what's done every goddamn year. White House Press Secretary Jay Carney is with us. Hello, Jay. Um, Jay is, as you know, not only his press secretary, he, you also know him as the white guy from every LensCrafters commercial. <laughs> One of Jay's jobs is to keep track of all the Hillary Rosens. For those of you who aren't familiar with this story, Kim, Lindsay, etc. Um, Hillary Rosen is the woman who said Ann Romney never worked a day in her life, even though Mrs. Romney raised five kids. And of course, 
The administration tried to distance itself from those comments. They said she's not an advisor to the Obama campaign, even though, as we later found out, her name appeared on the White House visitor log 35 times. So when reporters asked Jay why her name showed up 35 times, this is where it gets hilarious. He said he wasn't sure it was the same Hillary Rosen. He said, I personally know three Hillary Rosens. (laughs) You personally know three Hillary Rosens? Where did all these Hillary Rosens come from? Did you pick them in the Hillary Rosen garden? I bet you $10,000 you don't know three Hillary Rosens, but I'm not running for president, so. So again, (laughs) one, attacking the, rightfully so, attacking the press secretary for the president of the United States for the White House. Right. Calling them out on their lies. Yep. uh, That's what you do. Yeah. It wasn't uncommon. Yes. It wasn't lowering of the discourse when Michelle Wolf did it. Right. I think maybe the only difference between when Michelle Wolf did it and when Jimmy Kimmel did it is that Jimmy Kimmel did it with a penis and she has a vagina and that doesn't that people that doesn't settle well with people. I don't know if it's a sexism thing, but goddamn, what what's the difference? Yeah, it might also be that this lie that they're talking about here is like a pretty innocuous, yeah. like a ridiculous thing that they can kind of laugh about, right? I mean, it's even funny to reflect on it now. Like, Haha, remember when times were easier? And right, right. <laughs> oh, he's lying about knowing three Hillary Rosens. Right. Um, not trying existential, to distance. Not existential threats to the Republic. Right. And now the lies are very different. And we're in a very different situation. We are mm-hmm. in a different situation. Yeah. L- l- listen. Listen to Sarah Huckabee Sand. This is the way this White House and their communications division deals with the press. Lecturing has the audacity to lecture Jim Acosta on the tone he uses in the White House press briefing room. Um, and, and a lot of times taking your questions in a tone that's completely unnecessary, unneeded, and frankly doesn't help further the conversation or help the American people get any more information in a better way, which is your job and my job, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to move on. David, go ahead. Jim, I'm finished. The president's tone towards the press obviously is not helpful at times, you, and I think that that's plain to see. And she says, Jim, I'm finished with you. Mm-hmm. Let's talk that's, about... That's little bitch Jim Acosta. That's right. So as we wrap this segment here, I think we've done okay. Uh-huh. Pretty proud of myself. Yeah. You know, like every show. Yeah. Well, hopefully this gives people ammunition. For... Right. Well, let's let's talk about with the president and his tone toward the press. Yeah. This was in the Oval Office and a, and a, and a, a reporter had the, oh my God, the, the gall yeah. to ask whether he was considering a pardon for Michael Cohen and listen to Trump's... Response. And what about, what, what, Mr. President, what about Michael Cohen? Are, are, are you considering well, a Thank you very much. Stupid question. Go ahead. Any other, uh, anybody else, please? What you didn't hear, but you can see it. You can kind of hear it, but when you're watching it, you can put two and two together. Mm-hmm. He first just says stupid. He looks at him and says stupid. And then follows it up with stupid question. Yeah, it's aggressive. So what's, what's the problem with that tone? Right. Sarah Huckabee Sanders doesn't doesn't seem to have a problem with that. She made a joke. Maybe you guys should uh, get a sense of humor and try it sometime. When, again, this is the, the job of the press. They are supposed to ask questions. And that's all he did was ask a question. Right. But it really hit a nerve there. All Donald Trump had to do was 
act like he didn't hear it like he does all the time. Right. But he can't because he's a child and it got under his skin. And when something gets under his skin, he can't handle it. He needs Fucking to. Um, awkward. <laughs> he needs to immediately react. Yeah. He can't delay it. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Well, that is good. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I know we're, we're delaying. We're, pu- <laughs> we're pushing back responses, even though this happened on Saturday. We'd still love to hear what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, email the voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We would love to move this conversation forward and hear your thoughts. If you agree, if you disagree, all of that is real, real good. Taking care of biz. Um, Jim Shishudo. Oh, another CNN. Yeah, and this just happened, and this is just kind of a brief taking care of biz because it's just a tweet. So Donald Trump tweeted, As everybody is aware, the past administration has been asking for three hostages to be released from a North Korean labor camp, but to no avail. Stay tuned. Okay. Um, Jim Shishudo, Shishudo? Shishudo. Um, retweeted it and said, Mr. President, Two of the hostages were taken since you took office. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. So he is tweeting, acting like this has been something that the past administration was trying to get done. They couldn't hang. And Donald Trump's going to come in and save the day. He's batting clean up, everybody. Right. And and he's going to take care of biz. But... He's he doesn't understand when things happened. Well, you know, we haven't had any airline fatalities because of Donald Trump since 2009. Yeah, it's the same kind of deal. Right. And if you if you want to be depressed, let's just talk about how many retweets we have on this. Um, Almost 21,000 retweets, almost 90,000 likes on Donald Trump's. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone just runs with it. It's the asshole of today. Paige Patterson. I don't know who that is. He is a highly respected leader in the Southern Baptist Convention. I already think he's an asshole. And (laughs) because of the Me Too movement, people have found something that he comments that he made 18 years ago. Um kind of like a Joy Reid situation, I guess, digging up previous comments. Although he has defended these comments. Um, so I think he he's not trying to distance himself from his previous position. And given what he has said, some are wondering if he will resign from his presidency at Fort, Fort Worth-based uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here's what he said. This is um, a response that he gave when he was asked about women who are abused by their husbands, and this is what he had to say. It depends on the level of abuse to some degree. I have never in my ministry counseled that anybody seek a divorce, and I do think that's always wrong counsel. There have been, however, an occasion or two when the level of abuse was serious enough dangerous enough, immoral enough that I have counseled temporary separation in the seeking of help. I would urge you to understand that that should happen only in the most serious of cases. More often when you face abuse, it is of a less serious variety. Okay. So he's saying that he never counsels women basically on just like two instances he did 
to separate temporarily. Only twice. Yeah. This is deadly advice, by the way. Yes. This is very terrifying that someone would go to this man for help. And this is the kind of quote unquote counsel that he would give to them. This is why women abusers, wife beaters aren't allowed to have guns by statutory requirement of the state. You've rescinded your right to own a weapon if you are involved in um, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So this guy, this is abhorrent. Right. He says abused women should focus on praying and, quote, be submissive in every way that you can. Wow. And not seek divorce. This is in instances of domestic violence. He goes on to tell the story of a woman who came to him about abuse and how he counseled her to pray at night beside her bed quietly for God to intervene. The woman, he said, came to him later with two black eyes. She said, I hope you're happy. And he said, yes, I'm very happy because it turned out her husband had heard her quiet prayers and come for the first time to church the next day. God damn. Wow. That was his reaction. What's to a- this guy's name again? Paige Patterson. Paige Patterson. And... Again, because of these comments, because of the Me Too movement, there is now pressure on him from other religious leaders in this community to uh, have him back down from what he's saying, um, back down from his position, no longer be a leader in the field. Um, And again, this is to the credit of the Me Too movement and things changing for men that there's pressure on him now. Yeah. Wow. To, to correct this, because again, this is dangerous. This is not good that someone is giving this advice. To again, women. it's one of those things, and this is in the era of Trump that this keeps getting said. While I'm not surprised, I'm still shocked by that. Yeah. Or maybe it's the other way around. It's uh, there is no place in a modern society for that kind of thought, mm-hmm. and uh, we need to call it out at every moment, every opportunity we have. Uh, that guy's an asshole. Yep. Yeah. Up today. All right of today. Mm-hmm. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us on episode 402 and every episode in which you're with us. We will be back tomorrow. Actually, it'll be on Saturday because it's tomorrow night that she's going to be with us. So we will see you Saturday. We're going to be live streaming on Sunday once again, and that will be to the audience at large at 4.30 p.m. Los Angeles time. We can't wait for you to join us. We love you guys. Thank you. If you would like to sound off, communicate with the show, help us move the conversation forward, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We'll see you. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been the eventual I Doubt It. It's shirts and skins, and this time don't be such a little bitch, Jim Acosta.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 